And that is our desire this morning, that we would turn our eyes to Jesus and that we would think and contemplate Him as we would consider the message from the Word of God this morning. Before we would get into our Scripture passage, let's first I want to remind you of our theme verse this morning and that we will all say together when it comes on the screen. So, uh, again, just to remind you, uh, Philippians 1.20, this is our verse of the weekend, and we will all say it together, so let us do that now. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Philippians 1.20. If you have your Bibles, please open them to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And as you're turning there, just want to ask you a few questions this morning. Have you ever felt that sickening feeling in your stomach, say the night before a, a big test? That you might not have felt confident that you were going to do well and you've lacked that confidence and what was gonna, you were going to face the next day. Maybe it was before your written or your, your actual physical driver's test. That night before, maybe you didn't feel at all confident, I might not pass this test. Maybe you're somebody who spends a lot of time in front of the mirror. You're somebody who picks yourself apart to the point in which you have zero confidence in yourself. You spend the majority of the time, two days a week, with this great anxiety, figuring out what you're going to wear to youth group or what you're going to wear to church. And it causes this internal anxiety. Maybe you're somebody who has had somebody in their life, someone in their life that you have looked up to greatly, and that person let you down in this very serious way. It has caused you to lose confidence in that person that you once had great trust in. Maybe you think you're strange or you're different. You're trying to find your place in this world and all you want to do is be accepted. You lack confidence in your ability to make friends and you wonder if your friends are really your true friends. Maybe life has not been the easiest road for you and you're struggling to have confidence in God. Maybe you are someone here this morning who says, yes, I do believe in the gospel. I do believe in Jesus Christ. But I'm struggling to have confidence in the gospel. I want to tell you something this morning. If any of these things describe you, I want you to know that you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not the first person who has ever felt this way in any of these situations or scenarios. If any of these do describe you, I want you to know that I was just describing myself at different stages of life. We've walked down these roads. Some of you are on some of these paths right now. Other, others of us have walked these paths before you. But we remember what it's like. We remember what it's like to struggle with confidence, whether it be in 
Simple things of life, whether it be in figuring out who you are in this life, whether it be, can I believe and trust in this gospel? And yes, even some of us who are genuinely Christians can struggle with having confidence in the gospel. As I said yesterday, and I just want to, I think it bears repeating, sometimes we have this idea that you're either a super Christian or you're no Christian. And we create these two categories. And we don't leave any room for in the middle called weak, struggling, growing. When in reality, if we're being on of us, none of us are none of us are as good as we project ourselves to be, or that others perceive us to be. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to consider another man who struggled with confidence. And his name is Timothy. If you haven't guessed it, the theme of this morning's session is confidence in the gospel and how we can gain confidence. Look in your text here in 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 7. We'll consider verses 7 through 12. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Since the reading of the Word of God. Many of you are familiar with the relationship of Paul and Timothy, but I don't want to assume that all of you are. You could find the account of how Paul meets him in the book of Acts. Timothy is a young uh, disciple, a young Christian as Paul meets him. He's been... uh, He's been discipled or taught the faith by his mother and his grandmother who have reared him in the Scriptures. And he is well thought of of the many people in his village that he lives in as Paul is on his missionary journey and he's going through Lystra and Derbe and that this is where he meets this young Timothy who is no more than a teenager when he meets him. And Paul has this great interest in Timothy so he takes him under his wing. He he says, come with me that you might learn from me, that you might be discipled by me. So over the next 20 years, Paul is teaching and discipling and sending Timothy off and instilling the gospel. Timothy's his right-hand man along many of the journeys. He's seen the power of God at work. Timothy is in Philippi when the earthquake happens. And the Philippian jailers converted. Timothy goes before Paul down to Corinth. As well, Paul's sent down to Corinth and he's driven out and he goes to Berea down to Corinth, and Timothy is his messenger, and Timothy's a delegate. And now Timothy has been sent to Ephesus, a church that Paul 
spent three years at. And Timothy's there to help put Ephesus in order. Timothy's the pastor there, so to speak. Uh, really an apostolic delegate. But he's to appoint elders and set the church up for perpetual growth from generation upon generation. And here's the great Timothy who's been mentored and discipled and, and, and instilled and taught by the greatest Christian who has ever lived, the Apostle Paul. Timothy, at the time of receiving this letter, is maybe in his 30s. He'd be somewhat close to where I'm at right now. And you would think that he's got Paul and he's got the gospel and he's a direct underneath of an apostle. He's got it all. You think about it, in, in, in Ephesus, the apostle John is there in Ephesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is in Ephesus. Timothy is surrounded by all of these good people. And what we can see here is that this man struggled with confidence. In fact, Timothy was a man of great fear. So when I tell you that there's not two categories of non-Christian or super-Christian, you must understand that even people who have walked with Jesus for a long time, even people who have been discipled by great people can struggle. And if that's the case, how much more can we struggle with confidence? And so what Paul does here is he's sending Timothy this letter, first and foremost, to build up his confidence in the gospel. And I, I would, we would notice here in verses 7 through 12 that confidence is built in the gospel in three ways. These would be our headings that I would supply to you even this morning. And the first way I want us to see that confidence is built is confidence by or confidence through encouragement. Verse 7. Look again at your Bible. Paul reminds Timothy, he says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here what Paul is doing is he's reminding Timothy, he's reminding him of what God has already given him. And by virtue of the word us, he does not say, notice here, he does not say God gave you a spirit, not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul says God, God has given it to us. He's including not just Timothy and not just himself, but by implication, all who have been saved by Jesus Christ. All who have come by way of the cross. All who have been born again have received this spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Christian, that includes you this morning. You do not have to be slaves to your fears. Fear can be overcome. In fact, it has been overcome. We would know this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. For perfect love casts out fear. Fear is overcome and confidence is built by remembering, relying, and exercising the three marks that Paul provides here. So notice with me what they are. First, he says power. Power. It's not fear, but it's courage. It's strength. When you think about the word encouragement, a lot of us think of that word and we, th- we think, well, I just need to come, along somebody, come alongside somebody and say nice things to them. No, that's affirmation. That's not encouragement. Those are just, or it might just be flattery. 
When we think about the word encouragement, what Paul is doing here, it is literally means to take courage and put it in someone so that they would then take these things that are taught to them and that they would be strong, that they would be courageous, that they would exercise faith and confidence. And so Paul here is reminding him to encourage, to put courage into him. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but it's of power. This is courage and strength. You know, there's a movie a long time ago called The Wizard of Oz. Are you familiar with The Wizard of Oz? Right? In there, there's a character, the Cowardly Lion. It's an oxymoron, is it not? Aren't lions supposed to be courageous and strong? What is it that the Cowardly Lion desires? He wants to go to the Emerald City following the Yellow Brick Road to get to the wizard so that he could ask the wizard for what? He wants courage. I won't dare to try to talk like the lion, though I used to love to when I was little. Um, He would have his stutter, and if I was king of the forest, he would always say in those ways. But the reality is, if you can think about that movie, what he wanted, he actually had all along. Throughout the movie, you would see that he operated courageously with bravery, though he wasn't aware of it. You see, when we think about the cowardly lion who operates courageously, I'm reminded of many Christians. Paul doesn't say pray for power. He says you already have it. And oftentimes we neglect what we already have. Paul reminds Timothy of this so that he would remember God's supply, relying on God's strength, and exercising God's gift in him. Christian, you don't need more power. You don't need more strength. You need to exercise the strength and the power and the courage that God has given you through the gospel. Second, love, he would say. Here's our motivation. Here's our motivation for the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. You need no greater motivation than to be reminded of this. Do you struggle with confidence? Go to Romans chapter 5 and read Romans chapter 5. For the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. We have been justified by grace. We stand in a sphere of grace. Literally, Romans 5 means quite literally, that we are in a bubble of grace. That grace goes before us. Grace is beside us. Grace is behind us. God has showered us and covered us in His grace. And He has shed His love abroad in our hearts. This is our motivation to be confident. For the love of Christ compels us. Third, we would see here, of confidence through encouragement, self-control. Self-control, the ability to control one's self, whether it be against sins, passions, lusts, desires, quite literally sober-minded to think clearly. So often I think we lack confidence because we just lack self-control. We lack confidence in the gospel because our lives are a sinful mess. And we are constantly giving in to the desires of our flesh. 
And so we begin to lack confidence in the gospel. Then we begin to doubt our own salvation because we lack assurance because we're living in this perpetual cycle of sinfulness. We forget to exercise self-control. We find ourselves then in self-defeat resulting in self-despair. You see, our confidence in the gospel shrinks as our desire for self-gratification grows. I was, I don't want to mention his name, but one of my children, um, I've just now narrowed it down to two, um, was this, this week I'd come home from uh, work and they had made cards. The kids had made cards. And uh, one of my children, um, he made an I love you card for a girl outside of my home. And it was, it was says happy Valentine's Day to so-and-so. I love you. And I thought, wow, way to go, son. Yeah. Um, and so on family night on, on Wednesday, he was, he, was, he was terrified. He was terrified to even tell me that he made the card. He was happy around all of his sisters and his mom. But when dad came home, he was so embarrassed. His face got so red and he, he just wanted to put it to the side. And I just, I read it and I gave him the thumbs up and I said, you know, way to go, my man, you know. And so then comes family night. It's one thing to make the card. It's another thing to actually have to give the card to that girl that he made it for. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to prompt him. I wasn't going to push him. I mean, come on, we're talking about little kids here, right? And so we're leaving to go to family night, and everybody's going out the door, and he goes, oh, I forgot my card. So he makes a point to grab his card, brings it with him with his Bible and his Awana bag, and uh, he never sits with me at family night, ever, right? And so this family night over there on Wednesday, he sits right next to me, really close to me. And I notice that he's got his card in his hand. Four or five chairs down is the girl. And I could just watch him struggle with this internal angst, this lacking of confidence, so to speak. And, and, and so as he was working through his own internal struggles, I mean, I could hear it, I could smell it, I could see it, I loved it, but I wasn't going to say a thing. Um, he takes the card and he puts it on the chair next to him, so he's made his way just a little bit closer. Dinner's over, and he just keeps looking over and looking down and looking over and looking down. And I could see that he's getting his, he's getting his strength up, and, and, and so he gets his card. We all had left the gym, and it just was a couple of them in there, and he's got his card in his hand, and he's holding it behind his back, and there she is at, towards the gym, and he keeps walking up closer and closer and then stopping, and he walks up a little closer and stops, and you could see whether he was going to do it or not. I built up the whole story to tell you he didn't do it. He gave it to Marley. <laughs> And he said, please hand this off for me. And then he turned around and ran out of the gym, down the hall. But you know what? I, I applauded him for working through these, this struggle, this, this lack of confidence. He got close to the finish line, but he couldn't deliver. But that's all right. He's got years of growth. And, 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 and nonetheless, I was pleased. And I think about this. I took him home. 
I sat down with him, and I began to just encourage him. Not to go give cards to every girl in church, nothing like that, brother. We need to just, you know, be narrow-focused here. Um, but I wanted to just encourage him um, and help build confidence in him that he did a good thing, that he, was, that it wasn't, he wasn't doing anything wrong. Um, and oftentimes, so that's just a story of, of a father wanting to encourage his son, but we need people to come alongside us and put courage in us because in and of ourselves... We can lose it. We also need to be people that come alongside others and put courage in them. Our strength is in numbers. And so, Christian, I want to, as we think about even this passage here, I want to remind you that you have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. And that you, by God's grace, relying on God's strength, can exercise all three of these things. To exercise fear is to neglect these three things that have been given to you by the Spirit. Second way in which our confidence can be built, it is confidence through encouragement that Paul does here. And then it is confidence through exhortation. Verses 8 through 11. He almost sets Timothy up here. He gives him the encouragement. He tells him that this is what you have. You need, to, you need to recognize and realize what you already possess. Don't neglect the gift that's been given to you. Don't neglect the work of the Spirit in you. Now, I want to tell you something. Therefore, anytime the word therefore you see in the Bible, you always have to ask the question, what? What is it therefore? And always looks back. Well, we just, that's why we took verse 7, so that we would understand. Therefore, since you have this spirit in you of power, love, and self-control, this is what you're supposed to do. Live unashamed. Do not be ashamed. Paul moves from putting the courage in Timothy to exhortation. He puts strength in Timothy because he is going to be more direct and forceful in this passage. When we talk about to exhort, that means to strongly urge. That's not a suggestion. Hey, can you try to, you know, be a little more confident? No, that's not what Paul's doing here. That's not the tone of Paul's voice. Think more in terms of the general of an army exhorting his troops before battle. Hey, you want to go out there and fight those bad guys? No, that's not, that's not going to get someone motivated. This is war. We need to stand firm. We need to be bold. If you shrink back, they're going to kill you. So be bold. Go forth. Therefore, do not be ashamed. Courage to exhortation. And then he tells them, first and foremost, what not to do. Therefore, do not be ashamed. First, what not to be ashamed of. He says, the testimony of the Lord. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Second thing he'd tell them not to do. Don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of God's people. He says, nor of me, his prisoner. Why? Because sometimes we can. We recognize that. It's a call to confidence here that Paul does here. It is a confidence through exhortation. Do not shrink back, Christian, from the gospel message. And do not shrink back or apologize for God. Be willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters. 
Be willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with God's people. Here's a very important application. You are who you hang out with. Show me your friends, I will show you your future. You are who you hang out with. I heard that so many times growing up as a teenager, and I tried to pull the wool over my parents' eyes. No, 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 I'm not like them. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a missionary to that group. No, you're not. You never will be. You're either lying to yourself or you're lying to everyone else around you. If you hang out with people that have bad morals, you're not going to make them better. No, you will not. You either have a false view of yourself, you are over, overly confident in your abilities, you don't recognize your own sinfulness and your own tendencies. You need to be around people that make you better. You need to be around people that point you to Jesus. You need to be around people that have much more to talk about with Christ and what it means to live a holy life. And that doesn't mean that everything is always Christian talk all the time. But you need to know that you're going to be with people that do not want to bring you down. You need to be that person who hangs out with people that builds them up. You need to urge strongly. You are to exhort. You are to encourage Do not be ashamed of God's people, but to associate with them, to stand in line with them. Okay, so this is what you're not to do. Here's what you are to do. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. No, be bold. Associate with his people. Here's what you're to do. And this is the message that hardly ever gets shared at youth groups. This is the kind of stuff where you share it and then they never invite you back. And it doesn't get you on the preaching circuit, and it's the truth. Here's what you are to do share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Do you want to grow in your confidence in the gospel? Suffer. Be willing to suffer for the gospel. We all need to come to the point in our life where we can say, God, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, God, that I might be bold for the Gospel, that I might have confidence in this Gospel. God, whatever You want from my life. When you suffer for the Gospel by the power of God, you will experience the sustaining grace of God. You will experience a joy that you don't know any other way. In the midst of suffering, confidence is built. In the midst of suffering, confidence is built. This is the paradox of Christianity. You all know this. It's like the game of golf. If you want to aim, if you aim right in the game of golf, the ball goes left. If you aim left, the ball goes right. If you swing fast, the ball goes not as far. The slower you swing, the further the ball goes. Everything's opposites. It's the paradox of the Christian life. The Christian message says, die to live. Live to die. Find it, find life to lose it. Lose life to find it. 
Self-denial leads to self-fulfillment. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first your kingdom and your desires, and you will be left with nothing but misery. The first will be last, and the last will be first. He that wants to be exalted must be humbled. Here's the great paradox. The author of life dies on a cross so that he might declare sinners righteous so that those who are not deserving would receive a seat at the table, a place in the kingdom of God. We must be willing to suffer that we might find confidence. And so what we have here in verses 9 through 10, I'll just summarize this for you. Paul does it again. Paul does it again because Paul knows what he is doing. He reminds Timothy of truth. He reminds Timothy of the truth of the gospel. You cannot get enough gospel in your life. You cannot say, oh, I've heard enough gospel sermons. Oh, I've heard that message over and over. Nobody graduates from the gospel. Nobody moves on to something bigger and greater truth. It is always bringing us back, bringing us back, bringing us back to the central truth that Jesus Christ died for sinners. That is you. That is me. So he tells him here that we are to suffer by the power of God and reminds him because it is God who has saved us. It is God who has called us to a holy calling, not because we've done anything good, not because of works. No, remember, it's always by faith, through faith, It is by God's grace, according to his own purpose, that he has called us to be his children, that he gave us in Christ. And he says, before the ages began, here's such a freeing truth, that God set his love upon you long before you were a thought in your parents' mind. No, in fact, God set his love upon you long before any of the people you ever have met in this life took a breath. No, as he says, before the ages began, God set his love upon you before he said, let there be light. God set his love upon you with an everlasting, eternal love. That in time and space, you would experience that. You would understand what it means to be loved by God. Because Jesus Christ has secured for us an eternal redemption who has abolished death, and brought life and immortality through the gospel. Eternal life. That we might know God. And so he would, Paul would remind Timothy of this gospel message. You be confident in this. You can be confident in Christ because it is the gospel of God. That God saved you by His grace for His purpose. Now understand this. Grace has come to you so that grace would be shown through you. It doesn't stop with you. A Christian who doesn't show grace, that doesn't make sense. 
It's like the parable of the unforgiving servant who's forgiven so much and then he goes and says, well, he's been forgiven this enormous debt. Say he's been forgiven $100,000 and then he goes over to Jordan and says, hey, Jordan, you still owe me that dollar and you, you have to pay me back. I won't forgive your debts. God has shown you grace upon grace. There's been nobody in this world that has forgiven you more than God. There's been nobody that has shown you more grace in this world than what God has done to you. You're to be a channel of grace now, showing that same grace to others. We all need gospel reminders, do we not? We need confidence through exhortation. And finally here, verse 12, confidence first through encouragement, confidence then through exhortation, and finally, Paul do it, confidence through example. Confidence through example. We get to this last verse here in verse 12. And it's as though we're hearing Paul say this to Timothy. What's not in the text. But it's as though Paul is saying, Oh, Timothy, let me just remind you of one more thing. If I haven't reminded you enough in these first 12 verses, I've got one more thing I want to remind you of something. You ever have somebody in your life that constantly comes up to you and reminds you? And then will remind you a second time? And then maybe a third time? And you get to the point where you're like, I think I got it. I got it. I definitely got it. Hey, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. You don't have to keep telling me this because I think I got it now. I believe at this point, Timothy might be thinking, Paul, I got your point. And Paul's like, okay, good. Well, I'm going to hit it with an exclamation point. We're going to seal the deal here. This is what I want you to understand. But I am not ashamed as if Timothy had any doubt. As Paul looks at himself. He says, but I am not ashamed. Therefore, you do not be ashamed. And here's why. And this is what Paul is saying. No matter the circumstances, prison, an angry mob, assault, or opposition, Paul is not ashamed. Why? What would compel him to say this? You say, oh, because he was an apostle, right? No. He was a man like us. This is why. And this is why you can say, I am not ashamed. Verse 12. First, for I know whom I have believed. Notice what he does not say there. He does not say, I know what I have believed in. He says, I know who I have believed in. It is more than a system of doctrine. It is more than a set of facts. We can make assent to this gospel message. Paul is tying the gospel to a person. I know who I have believed in. The question for you is, who have you believed in? Not what are you believing in? Whom have you believed? Paul's confidence is not linked to just a system of doctrine. It is linked to a person. Paul's confidence comes through knowing Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Second, Paul's confidence is because he is convinced. He says, I know whom I have believed. He says, I am convinced that he is able. This word convinced means absolute certainty. There is not a waiver of doubt in Paul's mind that Jesus does not possess all the ability to do all that he said that he will do. Why? Because he has proved to Paul up until this point that he has come through on everything he said. And you know what we have that Paul doesn't have? 
2,000 years of that. We have 2,000 years of looking back on Jesus' promises fulfilled. That I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We sit in the long line of church history. We sit in the long line of 2,000 years of God's faithfulness through dark times and through good times. Paul is convinced that Jesus is able. Remember in Matthew 28, we would read that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ. And the third reason why Paul is unashamed is because he is convinced that Christ is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What does he mean by this? What's been entrusted to Paul? The message of the gospel. Who's the guardian of the gospel? It's not the church. Yes, and on earth we bring forth the message. We correct the error. But the ultimate guardian of the gospel is God. It's his message. And he will preserve his message. So when you hear the gospel according to the word of God, brought forth in truth, you can know with certainty this is God's message that he has preserved It is the never-changing message of the gospel. Think about over the last hundred years. I could say even over the last, like, three years, how many times the science has changed, right? There's always a need to update theories and beliefs. hundred years ago, we believed this. The science said that. The science here, the science there. It's always changing. So how do I know it's true? Something tells me truth doesn't change. Or it's really not truth. What was true in our society is not true anymore. Your parents lament all the changes. What seemed to be and appeared to be true. Cultural norms, they're gone. They're they're ever shifting. What will be considered true in 20 years? You will look at your children and say, what in the world? What kind of place are you growing up in? Nobody knows. You can be confident in this, that God is the guardian of the gospel and it will not change. We, have, we can have confidence by Paul's example, knowing whom we have believed, certain of his power, trusting in the timeless message of the gospel. So as we close our time here this morning, where's your confidence? Where do you find your confidence? Where's the source of your confidence? Maybe this morning you needed the reminder of confidence through encouragement, exhortation, and through example. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would strengthen us, that the courage that you have given us would be exercised, that we would not neglect the spirit that you have given us as we've been born again to a living hope. Bless the rest of this day, Lord. May we think upon these words. May we go forth with strength. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.